Good morning, and we're glad you're here today. And uh, before we get started, I just want to make one other announcement. Some people have asked, did I have a fight with a hot iron? And the answer is no, I'm taking cancer treatments for my face. Those of you who moved to Florida as adults don't have to worry about this, but the sins of my youth, staying out in the sun way too long at the beach and playing tennis my whole life has caught up with me. So this isn't because I got a sunburn last week, this is because I got sunburns when I was 18, 19, and 20. I have one more week of this and hopefully it'll go away. So uh, don't worry about it, it's all the way they do it. The skin people know how to handle these kind of things and so, but I do look worse than I did on Thursday. I did City Lead and I looked terrible. I thought, now I even look worse. I woke up this morning and then this cold wind and, and all from yesterday and today, it just kind of made it redder and redder. But I'll be fine, so don't worry about it. If you don't want to look at me, look down at your Bible. <laughs> but Elizabeth said, what are you going to do? And uh, I finally shaved. I thought I better shave before I come after a week. But anyway, so we're going to have a good time today. I feel fine. I just got third degree burns on me. It's, that's the only part of it. But we're going to have a great time. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting us, welcome uh, to be a part. Friday night's going to be fantastic. It's a great opportunity of just uh, learning about Christ through music and through singing and through praying and through connecting. Just a great time. So if you've never been to one of our worship nights, we've disconnected them the last two years because of COVID and different reasons. And now we're back at it and we look forward to that. If there's anything else you need to know about the church, there's a desk out back. You can talk to any of the men or women back there. And if you would like prayer afterwards, this right after here, we're gonna do a great closing song. So no one go anywhere at the end of the song. You'll miss the best part of the service. So don't leave until the song is over and then you can come down and there'll be people here to pray with you. Well, I talked about last week that there, what we're gonna do this spring are two different sermon series at the same time. What we're gonna do is we're going to talk about discipleship and we're gonna talk about the gospel of Mark. So one week a month, starting today, we're gonna talk about what does it mean to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then we're going to spend the other three or four weeks of the month talking through the Gospel of Mark, ending around Easter time. So we can't get through the whole Gospel of Mark between now and Easter, but we'll do different segments of it till we get to the Easter story and then probably pick up a couple of the parables and a couple of the healings and things like that after Easter to kind of catch up. But I wanna have the Gospel of Mark and Easter kind of come together at the same time in a few months. So what we're also gonna do in our groups is in our groups once a month, we're gonna have a video talking about the discipleship area that I'm speaking about once a month. So if you're in a group, you'll hear it twice a month once here in the service and once in your group. If you're not in a group, you'll hear it here and that's fantastic. So it'll be a very interesting time. So let's look at it today. I wanna review a little just for the next few minutes about what discipleship is. If you could begin the slides up top. What is a disciple and what do we wanna do here? We wanna develop disciple-making leaders in this church. What we use the word leader, but we could also say we want to develop disciple-making disciples, but it's too many Ds in there, so we've used the word leader. And here's the point. The point is this, is that when Jesus Christ left this earth, he left his disciples, who became known as apostles, to reproduce 
and then for those who were reproduced to reproduce again and to reproduce again. The key verse that we use in this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, where it says that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is what I preached on last week. Equipping the saints to do the work so that we can build up the body of Christ. This is what a disciple is. So what is the definition of a disciple? We talk about, are you a disciple of Christ? Do you believe in Christ? A disciple is simply this, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you notice we didn't say a follower of Jesus Christ. That could be true, but the problem is a lot of people follow things about Jesus without following Jesus. They follow the teachings. They follow um, the history of Jesus, which is a fantastic thing. They follow the church of Jesus, and that's a good thing too, but we need to be devoted to Jesus Christ himself. That is the difference. It's not about hovering around Christianity or around Christ. It's about being devoted to Jesus Christ. Now, we have five areas that we talk about, and these are the areas, and I'm gonna do the first one today. The five areas are this. The first one is this, loving and sharing Jesus. A devoted follower of Jesus Christ loves and shares Jesus. That's what we're gonna talk about in a few moments. The second one is that they live out their calling. We believe that every believer in Jesus Christ, every disciple has been called by God and has been called to him and has been called to do something on this earth. That's a part of what discipleship is about. We're gonna look at that next month. The third area is growing in character. This is important because we've got to practice what we preach. We've got to live what we teach. The area, the thing with being a follower of Christ is that who you are and what you believe have to connect together. Because if not, what do we call that person whose belief and practice don't connect? Louder. Hypocrite. You know, my, I got to just tell you this, just to digress a moment. My mother had been inviting our neighbor for years to church. And she wouldn't come, she wouldn't come. And she said, and finally my mother, who's a very quiet woman, said, why won't you come? And she said, the neighbor said, because you, the church is filled with hypocrites. And my mother said, well, one more won't matter. <laughs> it's. The church is filled with hypocrites, and that's why we're here to China. Move us from hypocritical to followers who are devoted in Jesus Christ, right? Number four, the fourth one is to live in community. The reality is that we can live and be devoted with Christ by ourselves, but he's called us to be in community, be in the body of Christ. He's not called us to be alone. You can love Jesus at the beach, hopefully wearing some sunscreen, but at the beach, but that's not what we're called to do all the time. That's good, but we're also called to live in community. And then finally is to use our gifts. We need to use the gifts that God has given us. Now there's four stages of growth in a disciple's life. So can I just say in your life and in my life, stage number one is this, the non or new believer. People come to church, people come around Christ who are non-believers. 
and then they become believers in Jesus Christ. What does that really mean? What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus Christ? Can I give it to you? Can I just share with you a very simple way? And what's interesting is, Francois, when he does the teaching in your groups via video, he's gonna give you some tools on how to share this. And we're talking about loving and sharing Christ. So I'm gonna share what it means to be a new believer. If you're not in this, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're here, you're a non-believer. And that's fine, you're welcome to come, but we want you to become a believer. So number one, God has a plan for us. That plan is peace and life. The Bible says that God loves you and wants you to experience this. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in his son will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we believe if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. The problem is this, there is separation. The separation, being at peace with God is not automatic because by nature we are separated from God. And by nature, if you know your nature, you have a sin nature. Now there's some people that don't believe they sin and I think they're just self-deceiving themselves. We are all sinners. Good people are sinners, bad people are sinners. We're all sinners. And we have been separated from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, and this is the beautiful part of our story, there is a remedy to this. And the remedy to this is the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is the core of our message. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin and the sin of the world. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Now, how does it all work? It's because we're not all followers of Christ. The fourth is our response. Our response is you need to receive Jesus Christ. Receive Jesus Christ. You cross the bridge into God's family when you receive Christ by belief. Listen to this, John 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. This is the very simple story of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I had an interesting thing happen, interesting thing happen uh, over the last few months. Uh, we have a lot of friends who are non-believers, Elizabeth and me. We love being with them. We love enjoying and interacting with them and sharing Christ and sharing life and all the things. And so one of the ladies came up to me one day and she's done this, not one day, she's done it every time I see her and we're together with Elizabeth. She goes, she's Jewish, and she'd go, you'd make a great Jew. <laughs> and I go, why? She goes, you're loving, you're caring, you have community, you're generous, all the things we want to be. I said, thank you, you know, and she knows what I believe. The other day, we were with her, and she said, I would make a good Christian. See how it turned? 
See that turn? She's not there yet. She's, in, she's on the path. She's on the road of beginning trust. She's on the road of beginning. It, it's a beautiful thing when you see this. You know, people go, how do you share Christ with non-believers? I, I mean, I just think you share Christ. I don't know. You just talk about Christ, and they might reject him. They might say you can't, but eventually things start to happen. I hope you, just to digress, I hope you have put in your Bibles the two names that we talked about last week. Have you done that? Have you been praying for those people? I have mine. Again, I put initials because people see my Bible, so I have my initials and was praying. I was praying this morning on the way here for these people. I have a couple more than two, but it's so important to do that. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, today would be a great day to do it. Today would be the day to believe and receive Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to talk about that, just come forward afterwards. We've got people, men and women here, that would love to share with you about how to do that in a deeper way that we can't go into right now. Now let's go back to the four things. So a disciple starts, if you can put up the graph now, a disciple starts as a new believer. Sorry, we're not getting it there. But we started as a new believer, and then we become a young believer. The next one, a young believer. Now, this is not age. This is not, I'm eight years old, now I'm 10 years old, now I'm 12 years old. No, this is spiritual growth. You start as a new believer, and some of you, if you became a believer when you were 50, you could still be a young believer. Someone became a believer when they're eight or 10, maybe further along in their faith when they're 14 than you are when you're 50. Doesn't matter. We're not in a race. This is not a race. This is a walk. This is a journey. So you have new believers, you have young believers, then you have growing believers. And this is important. This is where I believe most of us in this congregation are. We're in that growing phase, a part of growing. And then the final one is the maturing phase as well. And this is so important to realize this. Why? Let me show you a photograph. It's a picture of a painting. Does anybody recognize that painting? It's by Johannes Vermeer, a Dutch painter. He painted this in 1665-ish. It's the girl with the pearl earring. It's very famous. Movies have been made about it. What's interesting about Vermeer is that he never sketched his models or whatever he was painting, if it was a still life, or he, he does these beautiful pictures of globes and of, of different things and of fruit and people. He never sketched. He's the only artist of his period who never sketched beforehand. He went straight to paint. In other words, he didn't draw, and sometimes even under Rembrandt's, now that they can infrared, they'll see a sketch under there, then they'll see some rough painting, and then they'll see the beautiful art that comes out, the last that what we see. He never did any of that. He only went straight to paint. And his pictures, especially his portraits, changed the whole understanding of portraiture back in those days because he almost made it photographic. Now that's 250 years before color photography was made. And he made it almost photographic. No one could figure it out. They thought it was pure genius that he had it in his head that he could do it without sketching. Even the greats, 
Rembrandt and Van Eck and all these guys and women, uh, both uh, of them, would do sketches and we have pictures of their sketches and then we have their paintings. None of that with Vermeer. And then they finally realized how he did it. He was a scientist as well as an artist. And in his science, he learned the science of light and optics way before um, mirrors were finalized, done so well and reproduced so well, but he could optically get light onto the model and into an optic and reflect onto the canvas. And he would paint the reflection of the model on the canvas. Only guy who ever did it in that whole period, and no one ever knew it until I think 20 or 30 years ago. They thought he was just a genius, and he was a genius of optics, not of paint. Well, he was a great painter as well. What's the point? The point is, is that he copied the original exactly. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to follow the original, the model. The model is Jesus Christ, and we are to reflect Jesus Christ. Now, it's good that we sketch, and it's good that we write, and all, but the most important is to reflect Jesus Christ. And when we reflect it, it is the most real that people can see who Christ is. Because we call ourselves Christians. Christian means follower of Christ. It means we are little Christ. And so we need to reflect as well. Now, let's talk about love and share Jesus for a few moments. And as we do, I wanna give you a couple of verses that are key in this area of loving. Number one, John 14. John 14, 15 says, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now it's interesting, in other places he says, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. But the loving one another is a command, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is a key importance to loving Jesus Christ. It's not just knowing about Christ, it's not knowing all his sayings, all his teachings, but do you really love Jesus Christ? A second verse that's very important in this is Matthew 6, 24. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He puts love and devotion together. He puts despise and hate together. And then he makes this outlandish statement, Jesus does, you cannot serve God and money. Now, I'm not gonna talk about money today, but Jesus goes to the core of the reality is, you're gonna serve something or someone, you need to pick who it is. Do you love Jesus Christ? or do you love something else? Money is not just currency. Money was kind of a representation of all the other things. The Psalm writer says this also in Psalm 27, in one of those great Psalms, Psalm 27 verse four, he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Do you see there's an intimacy there? 
There is a love. The question I have for you is not are you a Christian? That's a bad question. Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to write this one thing down. So write this down. You hear it, you experience it, you share it. You hear it. So over here, you hear about Jesus Christ. You hear about what he's done. That's important. How do we hear? Faith comes by hearing. Things we hear, we hear testimonies, we hear the word, we hear through worship, we hear all these things. We hear it by the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. We hear. Then, for some, it stops. They've heard it. Some of you have come to church today, you're listening online today, you're listening to this weeks later, and you're going to hear this, and it's going to stop right there. Oh, that was good. And it ends. But for others, you begin to experience it. And the reality is that the life of followers of Christ has experience to it. Do you really love him? What is happening? Do you have an understanding of the scripture? Are you interacting with others? Is there conflict that you're resolving? All this experience going on. I'm confused at why some things have happened. That's experience. All this thing is going on. Remember that last week we talked about some of the disciples, the apostles doubted. This is a part of the experience. It's not all good experience, but it's all real experience. And you're interacting with what you have heard and you're experiencing it. Now, some people stop here. I've heard it, I've experienced it, and I, it's just about me. You need to realize that your faith in Jesus Christ is not just about you. You also have to share it. There's hearing it, experiencing it, and then sharing it. Because if you hear it, that's hypocrisy. If you hear it and experience it, that's privacy. I have a friend that has told me many times that her faith is private. I go, that's foolishness. Your faith cannot be private. It can be personal. It's personal, but it's not private. Can I trust you? That's not private, that's very public. It's personal, do I trust you? Do I trust you? That's a personal thing. It's not private though. Your faith has to be public. Your faith has to be shown out. Your faith has to be played out. And then you have to share it. If you don't share your faith that you're experiencing, you are missing what God has told us to do. We need to understand this. It's all three. You need to hear it, understand it, you need to experience it, and then you need to share it. You can't have one without the other. If you hear it and share it, that means you're not practicing what you're teaching because you're not experiencing it. So you have to have all three. You can't, have, you can't just share without knowledge because there's people that do it. That's called sex, that's called cults, that's called people that are doing these odd things, and they don't do it based on the Bible. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Can we do that? Acts chapter 1. I've taught in Acts so many times. It's a fun book to teach, fun book to read through. And I want to give you six thoughts here today in Acts chapter 1 about hearing, experiencing, and sharing. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Acts, 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's Luke writing, and he's writing about what he wrote in the gospel. That's the hearing, right? Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Number one, the disciples believed in the risen Christ. The disciples believed in the risen Christ. That's, they heard about him, they saw him, they believed it. You and I have heard of the risen Christ. The question is, do we believe it? And then in verse three, he goes, he presented, that's Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days. The belief with the apostles became number two, the reality of his resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. They experienced the resurrection. They experienced Jesus Christ. For 40 days, he was on earth with them. That's the whole story after Easter time. Now, the question I have for us is, do we believe the risen Christ? Okay, yes. Have you experienced the reality of the resurrection? The new life in Christ. See, that's the experience of it. Now you can't, people want experience without belief. You have to have the belief in the risen Christ and then the experience of that. Then he goes on and says, and speaking about the kingdom of God, the coming of his kingdom. Now, if you know me well, and most of you do because I've been up here for a do, more than a dozen years. I have certain themes I like to talk about. One of the themes is calling. I have so many themes that I love. They always kind of come into my teaching. One of those is the kingdom of God, the fact that we live in two kingdoms. It's all throughout the New Testament, and here it is that Jesus Christ came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. How did he bring the kingdom of God to earth? Because he didn't bring an earthly kingdom. He he's not here reigning over a country. He's not even reigning over Jerusalem, for goodness sakes. You'd think he, at least he'd reign over that. That's not the kingdom he came. He brought the kingdom to us. It's a spiritual kingdom. So how does this work? We're born into the physical kingdom, the earthly kingdom. And when we're reborn through the love of God sending his son that I quoted a few moments ago. If we believe, we enter the new kingdom. Some people use the word born again. Some people don't like that word. I'm fine with or without it, but the reality is we are born a second time. We're born into a new kingdom. You can be 30 years old, 20 years old, 80 years old, and be born into that kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's an amazing thing to realize. I've taught so much on that. Verse four, so we have the risen Christ, the reality of the resurrection, the coming kingdom. This is what they believed. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's the story of the balance of Acts, Acts chapter two to the end of Acts, so we won't go there. But here is the experience that comes, is that God gives us his Holy Spirit to live the balance of our lives with. Now the Old Testament, 
the Holy Spirit didn't abide with every single believer. He abided with certain ones at certain times, absolutely. But he wasn't with every believer all the time. But now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God said, Christ says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit with you. In other words, God is with you. It is an amazing thing. There's an experience that comes. Some people take it to wild extremes. I'm not a wild extreme kind of person. But the reality is some of us forget that we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit with us. This is what it says, the power of the Holy Spirit. So the disciples believed in the risen Christ, the reality of the resurrection, the coming of his kingdom, the power of his Holy Spirit. And what did they do with all that? The Bible says, going down, I'll read verse six through eight. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will we see this new kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons for the father has fixed for his own authority. Then verse eight, this is what they did. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones who will share this story in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, they believed in the resurrection. They had the power of the Holy Spirit and they shared it. You gotta have all three. We need to love and share Jesus. And then finally, the great part of this, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, verse 11, oh, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The beautiful thing is the promise, after we have the hearing, the experience, the sharing, the promise that Jesus Christ is coming again. This is the beautiful part of our story. And it's the same, he said, He's coming back the same way he went. He's coming back to be with us. Now, you and I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back, do we? Some people think they do. I'm hearing this more and more now. You know, this 2,000th anniversary of Christ's death is coming up in about seven or 10 years, depending on when you date it, and they're saying Jesus must come by then. I'm not one of those who says that, but this thing I know, Jesus could come before the end of this morning. Or Jesus could come a thousand years from now. That's between him and God. I have nothing to do with it, but I do believe he's coming back for his people. And so either you're gonna die and go to him, or he's gonna come back before you die and he's gonna take you with him. I don't know which, but it's a beautiful thing. But here's the important thing, is that you need to do more than just hear it. You need to interact and believe. And in believing, there's an incredible experience that comes from that. And from that belief and that experience that you have, you share Christ. Share Christ. We have got to get out of this, it's not my job to share Christ, it's not uh, politically correct to share Christ, it's not woke to share Christ, use whatever word you wanna use nowadays. It's not 
in vogue to share Christ. I get it. But what are we told to do? Share Jesus. Just share Jesus. You can share Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing. You can share Jesus from, if you're hearing, experiencing, and sharing. You can share Jesus from using the word and doing that. You can share from your own experience. I tell you what, God has used you in your life, in your experience. Share what God has done in your life. You go, I'm not a theologian. I don't remember all the verses. I get all mangled up when I want to tell somebody. Just tell people what God has done in your life and it'll start to flow. And the love of Jesus will flow out of your life such that people will go, tell me more. Connect with it. They wanna connect. It's a sense of community. It's interesting, when I talk to, uh, I talk to a lot of non-Christian groups. I love talking to non-Christians. I just love it. I love talking to them. They're not used to hearing people who can talk well, and they just, you just don't get it. Business speakers are terrible. Uh, it's just amazing. And so you have to be careful when you do it because I'm good at telling stories. I can get people to cry. I can get people to emote. I can get people to laugh. When I get you to cry and we tell a nice story and, I, and we're all tearing up, which I, I'm a crier, so I can cry, it's because I have Jesus. And it's kind of coming out. When other people cry that don't have Jesus, it's just kind of an emotional experience, right? It's nothing wrong with it, it's just an emotional experience. But what's amazing when somebody is having an emotional experience, you can tie that back to the creator, not just to the emotion. And so many times, I tell you, you've had tragedy in your life, you've had struggle in your life, you share that with someone else who's had tragedy and struggle with their life, they will emote, and you can take them right back to the creator God who has saved you. It's something you can do. If you just go turn or burn, you can do that. I, I, I'm not good at that one, but people do that. I'm more like, this is what God has done in my life. This is how my life has ended up. And, this is what, and then track it back to the creator. Track it back to your savior. Track it back to what God has done. And people will listen. You can share Christ. Now, in the groups, Francois is going to this, all of you are gonna be, who are in groups, and there's like 500 of you in them. You're, he's gonna give you more tools on how to do this. Now, let me share why this is all important. I wanna show you a couple of pictures of an old church, if I could. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem. It's physically one of the oldest churches in the world. It's in the top 10 oldest churches. It was started in 336 AD. That is a long time ago. Some of the foundation pieces are still there. It burned down, it was torn down, it's rebuilt. Here it is right here. And it's a beautiful thing. I can also say it is probably the most chaotic place in the world. Chaos reigns there. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. Show the entranceway. The front entrance is gone. It's hidden down underground. Um, now, this is the side entrance there and I've been there many times. That's how you get into it. Just hold the slide there for a few moments. Jerusalem was under Muslim rule for about 1,500 years. So, this is a church in a Muslim-controlled area until 1917. And so the church lived and existed under Muslim rule. So it was under a sultan. 
And so what happened was everybody claimed, all the churches claimed they owned this church. So there were six churches who claimed. It was the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Armenian Church, the, Eastern, the Egyptian Coptic Church, the Ethiopian Church, and the Syrian Jacobite Church. Six churches all claimed they owned that building. So the sultan kind of didn't know what to do. It was chaos in there. Literally, they would fight. I mean, this is for hundreds of years. They would fight. So much so, to this very day, the holders to the key to that door that locks it every night at 10 o'clock at night is a Muslim. And it's been that way for hundreds of years because of the chaos that is inside. No one can decide who should hold the keys so they don't let anybody hold the keys, an outsider holds the keys and opens it up every morning and close. I've been there at 10 o'clock at night and watched the guy lock the door. Not a Christian. So show the next slide. Up above, you can't see it, but I wanna show you the next slide. Show the slide with the ladder. Above the entrance is a ledge and there's a ladder there. Do you see the ladder? That ladder's been there since 1725, 17. 25, that's older than our nation, 1725. It's there, it's made from Lebanese cedar, so it's hardwood. And you go, why is it there? Well, originally in 1725, some Armenians, some of the, the monks lived up there and, and it was get hot at night. So they wanted to go out at night and kind of cool off. So they'd put a ladder there, go out on, there's a ledge there, it doesn't look like it, but it's a larger ledge. They'd go out on the ledge and cool down because Jerusalem's hot. So they'd cool down, go back in, go back out, go back in every night, go back out, go back in. Well, they were fighting, right? Everybody's fighting. So finally the sultan said, you cannot change anything in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher without all six churches agreeing on it, okay? All six churches. So, the six churches couldn't agree when the Armenians wanted to bring the ladder back in, the others wouldn't agree. So that ladder has been sitting there since 1725. It was stolen twice, it was put back twice, it was put, the exact ladder was put back, and it's called the immovable ladder. No, it's just a piece of wood. You, I could move it, you could move it. It could be just pulled back into the opened window there. It's not that big, maybe eight feet long. You can see it there. Now the Sultan in 1752, I believe it was, made an edict. And this is why I'm telling you this story. He made an edict that said the whole thing about the six churches had to agree on everything. This is why it's not painted. This is why it's in bad shape. This is why fights break out in there all the time. They can't change anything. And do you know what he called this edict? It's very interesting what he called the edict. He used a new phrase that was pretty new in the English language, it comes from Latin. And of course, there was, they were speaking Latin back then, partially there and other Arabic and other languages as well, but Latin was the language that they were using at the church. They called it, the sultan called the edict, the status quo. This is where you get status quo from. Stat status means state, doesn't change. Quo means doesn't change. 
your state doesn't change. In other words, the same remains the same. Status quo. And the church, I take people, we're gonna go there, those 30 of you that are coming with me, and you'll all say it's the worst part of the trip. I love taking you there, and here's why. Because below the church of the Holy Sepulchre is the traditional place of Golgotha. This is the traditional place where Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, was it there or 20 feet over here, 50 yards over there? I don't know, because it was 2,000 years ago. But this is the place where the world recognizes that Jesus Christ died on a cross, right below the foundation. I'll walk you right to the place when we're there in a few weeks, those 30 of you that are going. Now, how can the most important event in the world, the death of Jesus Christ, and then the church is also over the traditional site of the tomb? So, because it's huge, Basilica. So down the way is the tomb. So the most important weekend, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most chaotic place in the world because of status quo. My friends, you and I cannot live by the status quo. Our culture is telling us how to live by the status quo. We're all told how to live by the status quo. There's something about hearing about Jesus Christ that will cause you not to live by the status quo. The status quo says, live within this box. The status quo says, have your faith private. The status quo says, you can do uh, your belief in the church, maybe even into the school, maybe into your home in a Bible study, but do not take it out of those doors. That's the status quo. My friends, we cannot live by the status quo. We have got to break out of the status quo and share Jesus. Share the love of Jesus. That is the best example of the hate that people can have for each other and what causes that is the status quo. You and I cannot be people of status quo. We have to be people that believe in Jesus Christ act upon it, have the experience of it, and then share it with others. Do you believe that? And if you do that, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.